Well, I'm excited. We're here in the convened studios, but we're not in the convened studios because we're in our houses because of COVID-19. It's 2020 and the world is locked down in their homes and just coming out of hibernation. But there's something fascinating that Fast Company Magazine said in December 2019. Scott, not so long ago, uh, maybe five months ago, Fast Company Magazine said capitalism is dead. That's like Vogue Magazine saying style is dead. It's like car and driver saying cars are dead. The bastion of business said capitalism is dead. You've written a book called Business for the Common Good. Uh, and you have this incredible background of uh, theology degrees and economics degrees. You understand business and you wrote a book about it, Business for the Common Good. Welcome. I'm so excited to talk with you. Greg, thanks. This is a delight to be with you and love all the, the stuff you guys are doing with Convene. And, you know, I've, through you, I've had lots of, you know, lots of good associations with Convene in the past. Uh, not to mention red eye flights to make convene conferences from time to time, uh, but uh, it's, it's it's my pleasure to be with you and uh, with all of the con convene folks uh, that are gathered for this. So delighted to be with you. Thanks. We've uh, I was on a call this morning at the crack of dawn with some of our team uh, leaders in Atlanta, and this issue of uh, theology of work is not deeply understood at its core. But when we ask this group of people to kind of on a one to 10 scale, 10 high say, do you believe that God is uh, excited and wants to honor your work? Everybody said 10. But when we said, so what does that mean? Everybody said, ooh, I'm not sure. And so how do we take this from the, the theological head knowledge that says, oh yes, I, I think God loves my work, but why is it that every time I want to go dig water wells in Africa, I feel like I did something better for the kingdom of God? Why is that? Well, you know, I come at this maybe a little bit differently because uh, I'll ask business people regularly, uh, folks in the marketplace regularly. I say, tell me about your ministry in the workplace. What, what does that look like? And what do you think they say? It's uh you know, I pray for my coworkers. I, you know, show compassion on them when I can. If I have a chance to share my faith with them, I do. You know, I may be involved in some sort of a study, Bible study or a reading group or something like that with people I work with. At which point I point out to them that all of the things you're describing are things that you are doing when you are not doing your job, which actually should actually constitutes a very small fraction of what people do in the workplace. I think what's the first step, I think, at, at getting this into the, the fabric of people's lives in the workplace is to recognize that the very work they do is the, maybe the biggest part of what matters to God in the workplace. And this is where I think in, in our churches, uh, we haven't done a great job of explaining what the ministry of business actually looks like. How, how does business contribute to the common good? Uh, and it's not, it's not just through charity. It's not through what I would call the side projects that a business does, but it's through, it's centrally through the, the stuff, the goods and services that business provides, that, it, that those are the things that keep our society humming 
They enable wealth to be created. They enable prosperity to come to people. They enable people to flourish in their lives. Uh, you know, I often ask people, you know, what, think, think about what your life would be like if there were no plumbers, uh, you know, or no air conditioning repair people or no construction people uh, or, you know, fill in the blank. Uh, and so a lot of times I think the test would be something, if, if my business disappeared today, how long would it take my community to notice that I was gone? Mm -hmm. That's a good one. Uh, and so I think that, that helps, I think, frame this in a way that we don't often do because seeing, seeing the business itself as part of our service to God, not all of it, but it's a big part of it. And I think if we, if we substituted the term service and use that instead of ministry, because ministry has got this sort of, it's got this church baggage attached to it. It's nonprofit baggage attached to it that doesn't belong there. Uh, but the, you know, when the New Testament talks about ministry, the term it uses is most often translated service. And I think to see your business as service, you're serving your clients, your customers, your employees, all of the, all the things you are doing to, to make their lives better is a part of your ministry. It's part of your service, not only to your community, but also your service to God. Mm. Well, you've spent, uh, I'm not sure, four or five, six, seven years in higher education pursuing a couple degrees. Uh, Old Testament, philosophy, theology. Sit down for a hypothetical cup of coffee with me at the local Starbucks and uh, kind of squash that knowledge into a 30-minute cup of coffee with me and say, what do I need to know besides these concepts? I believe what you just said, but fundamentally, what does God's Word have to say to demonstrate to me that when I just created a great spreadsheet, that really helped my company, I honored God. When I uh, loved on an employee, I honored God. When I made the manufacturing process more efficient, I honored God. When I painted a wall, I honored God. Because I don't get it, I feel like all I did is something that doesn't matter. All right. Let me, maybe the best way to start on this is to go, you know, big, big picture Yeah. for a minute. So if I if I could if I could give our 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 list our audience the big story of the Bible here in about fifteen to thirty seconds, yeah, be a good place to start. There's the, the the big story of the Bible has four chapters in it: creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. Or as as the late Chuck Colson put it, the way things ought to be, the way things are the way things could be and the way things will be huh. eventually. Now in, in most of our, you know, our theological education, whether it's formal or informal, we get these middle two chapters on really well. I mean, I, in my theological education, I could tell you more about sin and redemption than I knew what to do with. But the consequence of that is that we've neglected the bookends on this, the creation and consummation. What we find is that in both of those bookends in paradise, God not only ordains, but blesses work as an intrinsically good thing. 
And so, you know, when Adam and Eve are given the mandate to, to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth, by, by the way, those two would be fruitful and multiply are separate. They don't go together. Right. Because the be fruitful part, it's, it's be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it and rule over it. Five different imperatives and they're all separate. And the be fruitful part actually means be economically fruitful, be vocationally fruitful. That's a a big idea right there because I think everybody thinks that means have kids. No, it has nothing to do with having kids. The The multiply part has to do with having kids, but the be fruitful part is a is a stewardship vocational economic command and it's a and so we we are man human beings as a whole are mandated to be economically fruitful on basically unlocking what god's embedded into creation for the common good now one of the questions i have which we can talk about if you like, is how come it took human beings so long to figure out that market-based systems were the best way to do that? Which yeah. I, would tell, I would tell Fast Company, maybe the eulogy for capitalism is a bit premature. Uh, but but you know, fast forward to the, the other bookend, where after, after the Lord returns, you know, this may not be great breaking news for your folks, but we will still be working. Oh my gosh, I mean, there's no white robes, white clouds, white harps. I hope not. <laughs> I, I think most people would say I'm out if that's the case. But we'll still be working. The prophets talk about beating swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks. That's the implements of war transformed into the implements of productive work. We'll st- I think we'll still have trade and exchange and we'll still have money. Uh, whether we'll have the Federal Reserve or not, I'm not so sure about that. Um, but we'll, you know, it's just that the marketplace will be free from sin and corruption. So work has, work has this intrinsic value, which means it's good in and of itself, regardless of what else it accomplishes. So, so now, now it's true, work has been touched and tarnished by the fall too which is why we have ethical dilemmas, which is why you have jerky people to deal with. Who knows? Maybe you're one of the jerky people that other people have to deal with. Ask my uh, staff. That's a possibility. I wasn't referring. It was you generically, not you personally. Um, but it, but it's, it's all, it's all been impacted by that, which, which is why, you know, even, even people who feel like they sort of found their vocational niche have days where they want to throw in the towel and days where they want to do something else. But, the upshot of this is that, you know, we're hardwired for our work and there's something in our design is supposed to be satisfying about our work. Uh, if it's, if it's aligned with who we are and with our gifts and skills and talents. Now, some people hate their job because they're a misfit. Uh, some people hate their job because they're in a, you know, in, I'd say a managerially challenged environment where their work is not, a, it's not valued. Uh, and so those, those are other kinds of management leadership types of issues that, you know, we can talk about in, in a bit, but I, I look at, a, I look at a biblical text that sort of, I'd, I'd say summarizes all this, what Paul says to the household servants in Colossians chapter three, and whatever you do, do your work heartily as unto the Lord for 
in the, the last part of that four parenthesis in whatever you do, it's the Lord Christ whom you are serving. Mm. Mm. And that, I think that's the big idea on this. Now, whether it feels like it or not is beside the point uh, that in, in doing your work well, you are serving Christ while at the same time you are serving your customers, your company, your investors, your community uh, with the products and services that you provide in addition to other, you know, other types of charity and other things that the wealth of business generates enables you to do. Hmm. So when I create something great, uh, let's camp on a more efficient manufacturing process. Uh, one, one of our members the other day uh, had a very significant piece of manufacturing equipment go down. It took them three days or four days to get this manufacturing uh, uh, assembly line back on track. And they felt great when it was over uh, because everybody's back to work. We're not sitting around waiting for the repair man. They found the secret was this part and this person and this company and it was all fixed. That's part of being fruitful and they should be satisfied and pleased and God's going way to go. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I, I think actually, I think you can take it a, a step further to say, actually the reason God's pleased fundamentally is because you've been fulfilling the dominion mandate mm -hmm. to be, to be fruitful, to rule over, have dominion over God's creation, Manu manufacturing processes. You know, human beings didn't think this stuff up on their own. You know, God embedded this into creation and gave human beings the tools through what we call his common grace to enable us to unlock those things. It's not an accident. You know, you, you know, God's not up there biting his nails because human beings have come up with all these creative things. Mm -hmm. God's celebrating that human beings have unlocked what he's embedded into his created world. Mm -hmm. That's a, it's a part of, it's a part of human beings having dominion over, over the world that God created. Mm. Well, it's uh, two things. One, I just want to uh, applaud you. This has probably been said before by somebody, but in all the thinking I've done for 30 years of uh, faith in the marketplace, work as ministry, business for the common good, whatever wordsmithing you want to use, whatever book I read, uh, I have never heard anybody say what you said about the word fruitful. I, I think most business leaders think that means, uh, you know, tend a tomato garden or be a nice guy. And you have totally blown that up and put it in proper theology terms. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you. My, my, my wife usually tells me I'm insightful like that. That's, that's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I will write Sally after and tell her you're awesome. So, um, so now one more thing, what, what, uh, the late, incredible Dr. Colson said uh, the panoply of time things were a, a certain way which was better the Garden of Eden mm -hmm. things are what they are now and I want to camp on that for a minute because I think when we get frustrated like let's pick on the manufacturing plant for a minute mm -hmm. the, the conveyor belt went down we can't find anybody to fix it we can't make our product we're losing you know, $50,000 a day, and I am so frustrated. Why did this happen? Why did it happen? And how can I fit that in a theological construct? It will help me to be less frustrated next time. Somebody quits, somebody doesn't say yes to my job offer, 
my uh, EBITDA is down, my bank called my loan, why isn't stuff going well? Well, there could be a whole host of reasons for that. Uh, I mean, it, it may be just as simple as a look in the mirror, uh, for, you know, for some. It may be because poor decisions were made, uh, you know, the right planning didn't take place. But let's assume that somebody's done all, they've done everything right. Uh, and just, you know, life happens to people. Well, in a broken world, life happens. And it, see, and it happens indiscriminately to people. Uh, and, you know, why it happens, why God allows those things to happen. The scripture just doesn't tell us much about that. Uh, you know, Job never got a great answer from God. At least, at least not, 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 he didn't get a rational answer for why all this tragedy befell him. Uh, and I think Ecclesiastes, I think, speaks to this pretty nicely, where uh, Solomon in Ecclesiastes says that in chapter 3, verse 12, he says, you know, that God has made everything beautiful in its time, that, that is everything appropriate in its time, yet he has not given it to human beings to fathom how it works from beginning to end. That's a rough paraphrase. Uh, in other words, you know, if, if, our, if our lives are like this giant jigsaw puzzle, you know, God hasn't given us the box top for this. You know, we can, you know, by looking at the pieces, we can see how some of this stuff fits together. But, you know, we, we sort of look at life from the underside of an oriental rug. You know, he's got lots of knots and holes, and you can, if you look closely, you can faintly make out the design. But, you know, once we are on the other side of eternity, we see that we see it through the design for all its in intricacies. And I would, I think the question of, of why this stuff is happening, um, you know, unless, unless it's to find out, you know, where, where we can fix things so that things don't happen like this again, I think that's largely an unfruitful question. Uh, in its ultimate sense, because I don't think this side of eternity, God's given us the answers to that. I think if he did, we would undoubtedly ask for a plan B, uh, you know, so, you know, some other alternative. Um, and Job's friends actually got in quite a lot of trouble for trying to give logical, rational explanations for these kind of in inexplicable things. You know, why, you know, why a tornado takes one person's plant to the ground and jumps over the next guy's. You know, I mean, who knows? You know, I mean, God's got those answers on the other side of eternity. I think he knows that we, we're just not capable of handling those things. Mm -hmm. Well, um, the, the coffee's getting a little chilly. We've got a little bit of time left. And uh, you know that I used to work for a company called Service Master, and Bill Pollard wrote a book. I know you've read and you've interviewed him. We've interviewed him. And here's what he says in the book. Um, when profit becomes an end goal, you can lose the soul of the firm. And to unpack a little more, as an end goal, profit and wealth can become addictive and self-consuming. They can become your god. When this happens, management of people becomes a game of manipulation. To accomplish a series of tasks for profit with the gain going to a few, that's a pretty fascinating uh, thought. In the same book, he has a whole chapter called Profit is a Virtue. And every time you say that to somebody, they go, Profit wow. is a virtue? Are you kidding me right now? Um, Bill used to say to me with um, 
a, a look of confidence in his eyes. Greg, if we don't have profit, we don't have a company to honor God. So get on budget. Talk about that a little bit. I'd put it this way, that uh, profit's like food. You, ha you have to have it to survive. But if all I think about is food, we say there's something seriously wrong with that picture. Uh, because food is a means to an end. It's not an end. Uh, and I think, I'd say, look, you know, we need to demystify profit. Profit's a market signal. I mean, that's really all it is. It's a market signal that an organization is using its resources efficiently. It doesn't say anything about the end. I mean, you know, pornographers are very profitable. You know, we said, so what? I mean, I mean, nothing follows from that about whether that's good business or not. Uh, and I, I think what, the way I, I maybe extend this to say that good business, good profitable profit for a good business is actually an indication of how successfully a company is fulfilling that mandate to be fruitful mm. and, it's, and how effective they are at fulfilling the dominion mandate. Uh. Now we've got bad business, you know, we've got business that produces things that are intrinsically evil, you know, like human trafficking, uh, and, and I think a lot of business is mixed. You know, you're going to have, you can have good things, but you know, there's a lot, a lot of, there's some business that has a dark side to it. Um, you know, that's why we have ethics. I mean, that's why I'm in business is in ethics uh, is because there is that side. But I think for the most part, business that's aimed at, at serving its, its community well through its products or services, that let the, the profit they make is an indicator that they are, you know, that they're fulfilling the mandate to be fruitful. Mm, wow. Uh, let's go uh, a little deeper into that. Uh, we talked about this a little bit before we uh, jumped on the uh, podcast, but there's a relatively new book called Completing, not Competing, Completing Capitalism by Bruno Roche, the chief economist from Mars Candy. Uh, that's a multi-billion dollar firm. Uh, his partner in writing the book, Jay Jacob, Senior Director of Research at Mars, after many decades of thinking globally with this multi-billion dollar company, they said this, business can simultaneously drive profits and wider mutual benefits to people and the planet through understanding multiple forms of capital. Multiple forms of capital, they say, are human, social, natural, and shared financial. I wonder, is this an opportunity to reposition business as this restorative power that has to do with multiple bottom lines? What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think we're gonna, we're gonna find out here in the next year or so, uh, because you know, the, the notion that capitalism is dead, uh, I think is gonna be proven dram dramatically in error by the way in which our economy rebounds once COVID-19 is under control. Um, because it's, it's, yeah, there, there are going to be some companies that are, that are not coming back. But what I'm looking forward to seeing are the new industries that are going to emerge in the aftermath of COVID-19. Because I think we're going to have, I think we're going to have a lot of new industries. I think it's going to, we're going to fundamentally reshape the way we do business. Uh, and, and it's only in a market system 
that, that where companies are forced to be responsive to customers' demands and, and using profit as the measuring stick of how responsive they are, mm-hmm. that, that, that I think is our best hope at, e- at economic recovery. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think to frame, to frame business in terms, of, uh, in terms of profit and the common good, instead of seeing them in collision. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, think about, think about how many companies could actually turn a profit if they weren't providing a, a product or service that, that a decent segment of the population thought was, was bettering their lives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think, you know, profit and service go together. I think that's, I think there are so many ways in which that is almost self-evident. And I think, you know, how many companies will actually say in public that we are in business only to serve ourselves? Nobody says that. Now, in, in private, they might say something different. But the way, I mean, the way almost every company portrays themselves to the public is that we are serving our communities. And, and so it's sort of back to Adam Smith's model of, what, of business being parallel to the professions that you did your service, you know, in order to benefit the community and you could expect a reasonable standard of living as a, as a byproduct of that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so, you know, if, if we see, if we see profit and service as in conflict, fundamentally, I think that's a flawed model of what business is about. Uh, And I think the skeptics about profit, just need to go back and, and understand profit as the economists do. It's just a market signal. There's just, there's just nothing magical about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love uh, in John 17, uh, where Jesus is uh, praying, he, he's, he knows that things are not good at all. He's in the garden, everybody's asleep, and they've been following him for years, and it's this final moment, and he, he says essentially to God, you gave me these people, I showed them you, and now I give them back to you, and a few days later, he's out of here. Uh, so it says to me that at the end of the deal, uh, you know, he didn't do a PowerPoint to have, have all the disciples remember the three things that he wanted them to remember the most. He basically was saying to God, you gave me these people, I showed them you, and I give them back to you, and I'm out of here. Uh, we used to say at uh, Service Master, where I, where I worked, that Service Master is not going to heaven. But the people of Service Master may or may not go to heaven, and that's what really matters. Yeah, I, I think I'd take it a little bit further, because even though the company's not going to heaven, that doesn't mean that the work that it does doesn't matter for eternity. Right. Because it, it does. Because God, you know, God's not burning up the world. When he comes back, God's transforming the world, which is a very big difference, Mm -hmm. which means that the work we do now matters for eternity. Uh, You know, we we get this, I think, a mistaken application because we hear often that, you know, only two things that last forever are the word of God and the souls of human beings. You know, that for one, that's not quite true because our bodies last forever, too. but we often conclude that therefore the only two things that have eternal significance are those that invest in the word of God and the souls of human beings. And that's simply theologically not true. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
because you know it's all all creation paul tells us in romans 8 is groaning for its redemption which implies that all creation is going to be redeemed it's mm-hmm. going to be it's going to be transformed which means that the work we do now matters for eternity mm-hmm. We have uh, uh, one of our leaders, a chair in Atlanta, who likes to talk in a theology talk. You know him, Tom Lutz, uh, Dr. Tom Lutz. And he likes to talk about if the trash never got picked up. Uh, One day he was talking to a new group that we have launched in Atlanta. And one of the members of that group, uh, his business is called Trash Taxi. And he actually does pick up the trash in much of Atlanta. And so I thought that was this kind of iconic moment, right? Because people actually call trash taxi and get a little bit upset if their trash didn't get picked up, rightly so. And trash taxi wants to be the best that they can be at picking up everybody's trash. And so you're saying that work that trash taxi does actually matters to God. Yeah, it matters to God. It matters for eternity. It contributes to the flourishing of our communities. Uh, which is what, you know, it's, that's, it's the shalom of our communities. That's the goal. Mm. Uh, and it has, it, it has a, an economic component to it. You know, it has a physical, earthy component to it. Otherwise, you know, Jesus coming to earth as a man in a body tells us that our, our physical needs and the needs of the, our, the needs of our communities you know, they matter. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, Scott, it has been a real joy to speak with you. If uh, people want to grab a copy of your book, Business for the Common Good, that's available. And is, is there another book you might recommend that uh, you've written that might be something people want to pick up? Well, my, my, my colleague, Kenman Wong, who did Business for the Common Good with me, we've done a text on business ethics called Beyond Integrity. Uh, which is what we think is pretty helpful about, I don't know, 40 or 50 colleges are using it at the moment. Um, so that's helpful. And then we did another one. I did another one with my uh, colleague, uh, the late Austin Hill called the virtues of capitalism, uh, a moral case for free markets. Great. That might be helpful too. And are those available on Amazon? I imagine. Mm-hmm. Great. And if you're uh, not a reader, you're somebody who likes to listen. Uh, go to the Convene channel on YouTube and you can find Dr. Ray doing about a 45-minute talk for one of our summits in the past. I think it was in California, but I can't remember. You'll find it on YouTube. And it's been a joy to be with you. Uh, any final thoughts for people who are saying, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm game, I'm in. Uh, give me some final thoughts to take away that would say my work matters. Your, your, your work is a big part of your service to God, which is ultimately the reason the Bible says to do it well, is because God, God's ultimately the boss. You, you work for him, uh, and you work for him not only when you are sharing your faith with someone, but when you are doing the nuts and bolts of an audit or figuring out how to, how to fix a manufacturing machine. Uh, you work for him in all of those arenas. Mm. Dr. Scott Ray, author of the book, Business for the Common Good, uh, faculty member at Talbot Seminary, Biola University, and Dean of the Faculty at Talbot. Thank you so much for being with us. We're very grateful. Hey, my pleasure, Greg. Always, always good to be with you, and uh, 
all the best to all the businesses that uh, Convene represents and hope your business owners are hanging in there. Thank you. Bye-bye.